My friends, what the fuck is going on? Glorious day today as we climb back on the bus with some of my favorite people. And we are joined by one of the most decorated tour managers in the business. The sun is shining. I went golfing yesterday in January in the Northeast. How could things be bad? We are hours away from the inauguration of a new president. We pray no violence in our nation's capital or anywhere else. We are, of course, recording a few days prior to the inauguration. We will be dropping this episode for our listeners, presumably on the 19th. So within 24 hours for you, for us, we can only forecast the next four days will go smooth. How could they not go smooth? Isn't life smooth in the era of Dear Leader? Of course it is. And... Also, on the day this episode airs, you will know, hopefully you will be already in attendance at the NAM Believe in Music Conference, because if you are, that's NAM, N-A-M-M dot org on the web, you will know that myself, my sister Dallas, my brothers Banks, and Hamilton will be serving as mentors at the conference We are big believers in the next generation of this industry. We hope to see you there, speak to you, have a good time, etc. Even better than that, there is a growing number of festivals that have recently announced or are in the process of announcing their fall of 2021 dates. That's exciting. Plus, Dr. Fauci just came out earlier this week said venues should be able to reopen in the fall. Signs are pointing in the right direction. Just yesterday, just yesterday, I received a deal memo for one of my clients to play Rolling Loud Miami on May 8th. So what better time than right now to bring out my sister Dallas and say, Dallas, how the heck are you? And is Rolling Loud going to be happening on the second weekend of May? I am well, thank you, Matt. And that question is a great question. Um, I I love that our brothers out there are willing to push it forward. Good for Tarek and good for Matt. But um, yeah, I think we need some vaccination going on. I think, um, I mean, I do live in a loose state and we do now have a big tourist industry because we are allowing anyone, if you are in the state of Florida, you can get a vaccine if you can get an appointment. So that's a little bit, nerve-wracking for some of us because we're wondering, will we ever get our second dose? Will we get our first dose? And supplies are limited. So there's that. But I honestly don't know. Plus the location that Rolling Loud takes place at is where they do all the, they've been doing all the testing and also the vaccination site now. So yeah, curious question. Will they be able to get 70,000 people at Miami Stadium in Miami Gardens? Who knows? A location which, mind you, is not all that far from where residents of uh, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue will be relocating in a matter of weeks. I guess we'll see what happens with that. They will not Moving. be at Rolling Loud. We can guarantee that. <laughs> can, can, can you guarantee that? Because that might actually increase the likelihood that you'll see me there. Okay. Well, we'll keep that in mind. <laughs> Well, for uh, our listeners, I should let you know now that uh, 
Unfortunately, brothers Hamilton and Banks are not going to be with us today. We will carry on in their absence. I have no concerns whatsoever. Brother Hamilton, as we understand, has gainful employment. You all may remember Brother Hamilton missed the last episode, which was conveniently timed around the insurrection. His absence today, I'm pretty confident he's not headed back to D.C., We know that he's been practicing his weapons training. We know that he's kind of a junior militia member sorts, et cetera. But I am pretty confident that he is not actually going back to D.C. Brother Banks, on the other hand, might be, although for a much better and less lascivious reason. I'll just leave that out there, let it be vague. And when you all see who's performing, you might say, oh, I wonder if Banks might happen to be at the inauguration. Who knows? Just floating that out into the ether, not confirming or denying anything, just leaving that as it is. And without further ado, our guest today has been kicking around this business since the early to mid-90s, which presumably means she, much like Dallas and myself, got her start around the age of five. (laughs) Yep. She hails from the Charlotte, North Carolina area. I believe she went to college in Lehigh, Pennsylvania. I might have that wrong. She's waving at me like I've already gotten this wrong, but we'll come back to that when she corrects me as I bring her out. She got her start in the business, I believe, as a production assistant in the Charlotte area. I hope I'm right about that. Again, all things considered, I've been wrong before. It might happen again. Uh, she worked at Cellar Door. We have a lot of friends that were at Cellar Door. Um, has gone on to work with a who's who in the concert industry. I mean, I'm just going to give a short version here. Looks like first tour might have been NSYNC. Not a bad bad place to start. We're looking at Britney. We're looking at Dave Matthews, Guns N' Roses, Rolling Stones, Madonna several times, Van Halen. Good grief. Jay-Z, where I believe she worked with Dallas. Gaga, Kanye, No Doubt, Imagine Dragons. And more recently, Post Malone, only one of the, if not the largest artists in the world. So suffice to say, this woman is the shit. We are very proud to have her with us. Angie Warner, welcome to the program. Please, thank you for being here and and start with where I'm wrong. Not from Charlotte. I thought you were from Charlotte. Tell me. No, I was born in Georgia, but I grew up in New Jersey. So I spent you know, 25 years in New Jersey. And I started in the Asbury Park area working for bands. So that's where I. Okay. Okay. I moved to Charlotte after college. Well, when I left college, cause I never finished and I started working for a booking agency in Charlotte. So that was that transition. I moved to get away from the family, you know, get off on my own and do my own thing. And I'm going to be in the music industry and I'm going to be this and I'm going to be that. And I left with $300 to my name and a $5 an hour gig and was broke for a few years, but it was a lot of fun. 
I mean, at what five-year-old isn't broke? So you're booking bands when you're five years old in Jersey. You go to college when you're like six or seven. Did I get the Lehigh part right? I swear you told I me did. Lehigh. Okay. I did go okay. to Lehigh University, and they just took back their honorary degree that they gave Trump the other day because of everything that happened. So I'm very proud of my alma mater, even though I didn't graduate. I'm still considered an alumni because I went there for a certain period of time. I mean, if you didn't tell us, we wouldn't know. You could have just left it out there. I went to Lehigh. I will push education, but I knew from the beginning what I was, where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. I didn't necessarily know touring was the side, but I knew the music industry somehow, some way was going to be my career path. Well, it seems like you figured that out. I I would say the same about myself in terms of starting out not knowing where I was going other than music, except I like to say that 20 odd years in, I still don't know what I want to do with, you know, for a living other than being around the music. Well, I always said like, because when I was in, all right, so I did the whole band thing in Asbury, like Asbury Park when I was 18, 19 was really sketch still sketchy area. It's been revitalized and it's a really cool place now. But back then it was sketch. And I would go use a fake ID, get into the rock clubs, like the Stone Pony had been closed at the time. So there were other bars and the bouncers would be like, if you're coming back, you need to pull up. We're going to go with you to park your car and we'll walk you back because they just became a regular there. And um, then the day I turned 21, I remember showing my real ID and they were like, Fuck you, really? I was like, yep, fake IDs work. But uh, but yeah, so Asbury Park, and when I went to college, then I worked on the student union board. So I was booking bands and entertainment and comedians and learning audio and lighting, you know, a little bit here and there. Um, Singer songwriters, and then we did the spring concert, and I would have this portable DJ system. So I would DJ parties and dance a thons that sororities were having. And that was it. Like even I got kicked out for a semester because my grades were so bad, but the student union board was like, we still need you to work. So you, cause it was a paid position. So I still worked and was getting paid even though I wasn't a student. Okay. Okay. Now that's a hustle. That's a good hustle. <laughs> that is a good, well, also like you're broke. I was broke as fuck. You know, <laughs> parents are like, you're going to live up there. You're going to pay your rent. You're going to get whatever job you need to do to do it. And I luckily was able to keep that job. Aren't well, you Lehigh glad is- your parents? Can I just interject here? Please, I just please. think that the the beauty of our lives was that our parents made us do stuff that was uncomfortable, and you know we didn't like it, tough shit, you know, and it wasn't like, hey Johnny, what do you want for dinner? And they wasn't having like three course meals every night at home, which I'm finding it very difficult to talk to people with parents with children now because they they're so bougie with their kids, and I really worry what we're going to end up with is them as adults. So Matt, you have an obligation here to make sure your children suffer so that they are good adults. My parents didn't know any different, except you will get a college degree because that's just that's what the life did. I was living. You know, I, everybody went to college and you, you're not going to be anybody unless you have a degree. And the best friends you'll have through life, you'll meet in the sorority. I was like, I don't want to join a sorority. I mean, I went to Lehigh because my stepfather went there and I grew up with them going to football games, Lehigh Lafayette football game is one of the biggest, longest rivalries in the, in the, in the country. And, you know, you're drinking sneak. I was the kid with the big overcoat sneaking in the bottles of mad dog 2020 into the game. Ooh, I do love the mad dog 2020. That is good stuff. Yeah. Right. 
And by good stuff, I mean, oh, disgusting. Got it. Yes. yes. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So then I moved away to Charlotte. My mom and I had a really, really rough relationship at the time. So that was my way of kind of getting out and out from under her claws, at the t- you know. So you're attending Lehigh, you're working for the programming board. I do want to reiterate that because we do advocate and we talk a lot about the value that comes out of the experience on programming boards. It's it's always interesting to me. I was just talking to somebody on the board of the MIA organization. It's a music education, music management type program. Tech support can probably tell me or text me or tell me exactly what it stands for. doesn't really matter, but it's, it's the organization that uh, a lot of people on track to enter the business will go through. And I asked this gentleman, why is it so many students who are in on this track don't actually participate on the programming board. And I mean, frankly, I still don't have a good answer to that because I think it's an incredible way to get hands-on experience. Clearly that worked for you. And I'm curious now, I know a little bit about the college space there. It's called the Music Entertainment Industry Educators Association. Thank you, Tech Support. So it's great to have tech support, right? Everybody needs their back of house. We chew. we work in that back house capacity. We have our own. That is why uh, that is why he is a stellar addition to the team, and we couldn't do it without him. Thank you, Sam. So, I do know a little bit about this space. I've been involved in promoting some tours on college campuses. I, Stabler Arena is that the name of the arena at Lehigh? I feel like I've done a couple of shows there. And I also know that a gentleman who is booking a lot of the shows and promoting a lot of the shows in coordination with the student program board at Lehigh once upon a time is a gentleman named Mike Jones, who is one of the principals of Cellar Door. I'm curious if that has anything to do with how you wound up there. No. Okay. What do you mean? Where wound up at Lehigh or working at Cellar? Working at Cellar Door concerts years later. No, because okay. we booked a lot through the NA um, NACA organization, or as we call mm-hmm. it, NACA, National Association NACA. of Campus Activities. So mm-hmm. through that, you would go and because you're on the student board, you've got the ability to go to the regional and the national conferences, and you'd see showcases, and you'd go to the um, exhibitors hall and you get to meet the artist and you talk about block booking. So it was really big about if you really wanted Carrot Top, because Carrot Top was really big at the time, you'd go and try to, and you'd get into smaller regions and you'd work with Muhlenberg and Lafayette and Lehigh and UPenn or Temple to try to get block booking so you could get a cheaper rate. You know, that's how we booked 90% of our talent. We would do your spring concert and you would go more to the, but there was always a CAA. William Morris was always Mm -hmm. rep there because colleges have a budget that they have to spend and it's a lot of money. So we not only had the spring fling concert, we had a pub on campus where we did entertainment three nights a week. So, you know, and I was booking convenient, Dave Chappelle, Jay Moore, um, Joe Rogan, they were all $1,500, you know, to Mm -hmm. book through New York entertainment. I, I, Intern Matt there. Frost. Huh? Matt Frost. Yeah. Was Chappelle's agent at New York Entertainment at the time. I remember this. Yeah. So, but I never, I don't, I didn't deal with anybody directly with um, Cellar Door until I moved to Charlotte. I ended up with a booking agency booking bands on the side stages of the amphitheater. So a local band, 150 bucks, 
passes to the lawn, et cetera. And then Janine Edwards, who is a tour manager as well now, she said, do you want to come help backstage for the further festival? And I was like, sure. I don't know what you need me to do. She's like, just show up. I just need an extra set of hands. And I ended up working on the tour bus for the management, which was the Grateful Dead management, who are now involved with the Further Fest, doing all the VIP ticketing for the artists. So here I am working with these people that used to manage the Grateful Dead, that I was a deadhead in college for a while, you know, for that short period of time when it was cool. And working with Mo Morrison, who was the production manager, seeing Bruce Hornsby walk around, Bob Weir, Ziggy Marley, like all these cool acts. And I went, I'm shutting my booking agency down and I'm going to become a runner because this is fucking cool. This is what I want to do. And so I did that, closed the agency down and became a runner. And that's how I got involved with Cellar Door because they booked the amphitheater and all the shows within the tri-state area, the tri-state area, you know, North, South Carolina and all that. Georgia. And out, just out of curiosity and of no consequence, but were you a musician yourself or not? My mother was. My mom was a singer. So she sang in New Jersey at all the, I call them, I was like, you were a mafia bar singer when I was a kid. Because it was all, it was that era. New Jersey is very, you know, Italian heavy state. But um, so I would always grow up with re- band rehearsals in the basement. But they were, you know, it was a lot of fun. Laying, I remember laying on the floor of the living room, playing cards with my girlfriend and they'd be playing in the basement so you could hear everything. And then when she would go and sing, she would have me write out the lyrics to songs because at eight years old, you have that big handwriting. So that way she could see it from the music stand. So I was writing lyrics out to Shaka Khan and Rufus and Steely Dan, Tower of Power, you know, anything, anything from that era that I would sit and write the lyrics out in big scripts, put the big headset on with the really heavy cable. The Texas headphones. Love that. Okay. Yeah. So So that was, yeah. So it's been around. (laughs) It's, I mean, it's, I mean, musicians have been around since I was like in diapers. Very cool. So, so see, you're running, you're a production assistant, you're working behind the scenes and you get your first touring opportunity. How? Florence C was the production assistant for InSync and Britney at the time. And she came through. So I would help her out. You know, I would always be on the local side with working with her. And then one day I was working Britney up in Greensboro and I walked by her in the hall and she just went, Oh my God, I was going to call you. Do you have any interest in going out on the road? Mind you, Christine, she did clear it with Rob Manley first. Good. <laughs> she knew she knew the higher power. <laughs> yes, I had his blessing and Wilson Howard's. Wow, so then, that takes fun. That was it. And I always say it's timing. It's being somebody who remembers your name when a job becomes available. And just constant. that's, you know, keeping in contact with people is good for that purpose. 100%. Sure. I'll go out on tour. Which tour? NSYNC? Okay. And that was that big, that was when they like blew up, wasn't it? That was the... That was the No Strings Attached tour. So I went right into a stadium, basically arena slash stadium tour for a year with her as the second production assistant. And I, it was like being thrown to the wolves, but that's how you learn. And who was the production manager then? Tim Miller. Amazing. You must have learned a lot. I learned a lot. I, you know, to this day, I, I still talk to him every few weeks and he's, 
we actually with Post Malone, he was out with Jaden Smith and he to this day will stop people and say, you have no idea who this girl is. She was my assistant. Now I'm so proud of her. You know, so it's, it's nice to, it's, you know, it's wonderful. Our friendship has evolved over the years. Yeah. But that's always a wonderful part of the story that I think that happens in our business that is rare in others, you know? Yeah. Well, I will say now, one thing that is missing from your resume, as if there's anything, is a name that isn't, you know, otherwise known by everyone in my household. And that in and of itself is fairly remarkable. You know who uh, Daniel Powder is? Uh, I, he had that song. He was the one that was super pale and he had that song called, what was it called? Like, she had this? a bad day. Dun yeah, that one. You're right. My, your, my kids wouldn't know who that is. But I do. And uh, I mean, to me, that's actually one of the most remarkable things about your resume, because your resume is unbelievable. I mean, I, I feel like I have a pretty decent CV, but there are any number of names on there that a lot of people aren't going to know. You jumped into stadiums fresh out the gate. Go hard or go home, dude. Come on. I like it. I don't like pussyfoot like around. I don't pussyfoot, man. I'm like... Christine will tell you. She and I work together. So, yeah. So fun fact, Matt, that you don't know. Angie and I, back in those early days in the 90s, where um, she was like the only peer. You know, she was the, like, there was Angie on the other side of the Appalachian Trail there. <laughs> you know, but you know, there was like a woman you knew of that could get shit done who was in our generation. And, you know, especially being in the South, it was also a rarity, you know, like being that we were in secondary and tertiary markets, in addition to that, also, you know, to get your name made and to be, uh, you know, it was just a wonderful thing. And it's been incredible, you know, not just to watch Angie's growth, but the fact that you do make a statement, you know, and I think in those times, you know, I remember very fondly being like, I can't wait to work with Angie. And then we luckily got to do that. Got but, to do that, but, yeah. You know, even though those are the crazy days. I mean, you know, AC Entertainment and Cellar Door went from being competition to being partners in crime. You know, this was a whole different generation in the business. No one's seen promoters like SFX, which now we know is Live Nation. You know, things were very different back then. So um, it's an important yeah. part of our business and history. There wasn't a lot of women tour managers or anything above a production assistant, wardrobe or caterers, even coming through when I was a runner in the late 90s. You weren't seeing. There was Patty Chavaria, is that it? I think there was. Yeah, I don't know if I got the name right. Um, I think she, you're right. I, I remember right. her being like the only female tour manager that I had ever come in, in contact with. And then, um, oh goodness, the lady, I've totally spaced her name. Uh, Ohio Market Live Nation rep now, or what? What the hell's her name? Stacy Harper. She Stacey. was the, oh, yeah, she would be like the only promoter rep that we would ever see too. So it was like the only other female that you knew could do something. Stacey Harper, oh, Allison yeah. Larkin and Sarah. Of course. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Cause Sarah was Florida. Allison was Florida and then moved into the rest yeah. of the world. But this was a big deal for those of us who come up in those times, yeah. you know, and everybody forgets now, but. I'll always say it was the men that I learned the most from because Bob Morell, God rest, rest his soul. Cause I love that man. And Rob Manley, the joke was, well, if Angie's going to be there, it'll be fine because the other two used to fall asleep during the day because they'd stay up all night, you know? So I'd just steal the radio and, and be in charge. And that's how I learned. But it's Absolutely. been women that have given me the pivotal movements in my career. Florence C., who got, well, Janine, who hired me to work backstage. Florence C. got me onto NSYNC. Allison Larkin got me from a production assistant into working for 
um, TNA, uh, Live Nation Global, touring. Janine got me my first assistant TM gig. And that, you know, so those were massive pivotal changes. So from women. Very interesting. The few women that were out there too, no less. The women no that less. were really out there at, in, mm-hmm. in roles where they could help Huge. you. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Well, well, Angie, you made clear on our pre-call the other day that you never liked the label female tour manager. You just wanted to be the best tour manager. And, and for that our listeners be. who don't know, you've you've clearly achieved that. Not just the best you can be, but arguably the best there is. You have won the Tour Manager of the Year Award from essentially every organization that honors uh, people with those with those awards. Pinnacle Award, Torlink Award, Parnelli Award, Polestar Award. The accolades go on and on. I haven't won Polestar yet, the Road Warriors. That's my trifecta. It's it's I don't I think it's maybe 28 years now and I've been the only female ever nominated for Road Warrior of the Year and I think I've been the only well, maybe one after but I was the first female ever nominated but only men have ever won. So well, I'm going I'm going gung ho for that one. <laughs> well, we're calling them out right here and now. Pole Star Let's get it together. Let's get it done. Let's get it done. Let's get touring back. Let's get some touring back. Start hitting up pole <laughs> okay, star. Well, you should have right, definitely gone for Imagine Dragons. You never right? came home. That I got year, nominated for Dragons. That was the year? Okay, gotcha. But I think Gus Brandt won again. And so when he got nominated again, I was like, dude, if you win, just you need to just fucking give it up. Give it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Give it up. Uh, so, so, but, but actually, I wrote down this quote while we were talking about, you know, this preference that you not be now known as a female tour manager, but a tour manager, you said, just be fucking good at what you do. And that's going to get you the work. Yeah. And Amen. I thought that was worth knowing because I mean, first of all, it seems obvious, but it, I, that doesn't make it. So, and I'm pretty sure that much like people of color have said before for a woman to achieve at the level that you have, you arguably have to work twice as hard as the white guy in the industry who's doing the same work. Would, would you say that's true? You know, I my the way that I run as a TM, as an assistant TM, as as anything is I just do the best that I can do for the artist. And I don't compare myself to what the guy before me did. I, I just say I bring a whole different energy to it. And I'm willing to put a level of like a small level of maternal side to it to make the person feel more comfortable. I might put more information out there and maybe I do work harder than a guy to achieve the same results. But I think in the end, that artist still respects what I've done in addition to make the job better and make it better for the artist and their team in general. You know, I think right now, I don't think any of my extra work goes unnoticed. Does that make sense? So I never, I mean, I never look at it and kind of go, God bless it. Well, no, I have done that before. That person doesn't do shit, but you know what? I'm still going to get it done. And it's, going to happen because it needs to happen and I can't leave any stone unturned because I have to be the one responsible for having the answer when shit goes down you know so I'm willing to do that extra work because if if I didn't I would feel like I was slacking you know 
it's just, I don't know. It's 110%. I, I just give 110%, you know, I don't clock out because it's 10 o'clock at night. I, so I don't ever say I have to work harder. I just say I work better. I can, I can understand where you're coming from. And I think that's yeah. a very valid perspective. And I think, you know, but it also becomes part of the, I don't want to say a burden, but I know myself, it's hard to figure out when that time is that you do turn off. And I think for, you know, for lack of any good that might've come out of COVID, perhaps, you know, we can learn to save ourselves a little better because sometimes, although the giving is noticed, I do think one has to be careful about it. And I wonder in hindsight, was it worth it? You know, and I think it is. It is. It's an interesting question. At what cost? It is worth it. It is worth it. And, and I will say this, like, so I sent him on his birthday trip, which was in July. And we ended up pushing it to August. And I had to, like, jump through hoops to get the trip to happen. And I won't go into details because it's all personal stuff. But, you know, we're in COVID and I'm in a more relaxed state. I sleep in my own bed. I have a dog. I have a routine. And for those three days, let's just say he got to LAX late. And so his bags didn't make it. And because of where he was going, I had to hire somebody to fly 10 pieces of luggage from LA to London, have somebody who was allowed to go to where he was going, pick him up, transfer him, get him approval into the country, you know, like a mule. I was up for three days and I felt how physically it affected me. I felt how my like eating habits changed, my stress levels, the dog was all off sorts. So I was able to focus on like my physical being and mental being and kind of go, okay, when I go back out, I just have to be more cautious of making sure I'm doing X, Y, and Z to take care of myself. But in the end, you know, like I've decided to not have kids. I've decided to continue this career because I love it so much that I've got a good balance even when I do, even when before I finished the tour, before we canceled everything, I still was in a really good balance because I, with him, I have days off. I can make a full day off because it's only one guy, you know, the rest of the guys go where I tell them to go, but with him, we've already just made all the big decisions. So then it's just kind of keeping them going. So I can sleep and not have the phone on my chest, you know, because I'm going to be woken up at three or four in the morning with, I need, I need, I need, you know? So now I, it's just a good, healthier balance for me. I can travel on my own. I can kind of go however I want to go. So if I need to kind of take a day by myself, I can do that on tour now. That's really important. And that's excellent. Yeah. That you. And I think that to me kind of is the pinnacle of in this career of finding that perfect artist that you can be with to have your most normal self yet do your job brilliantly and, um, and then feel good about it. Cause I think part of the challenge particularly for females who are like our age, um, you know, we didn't have 25. the luxury. Well, yeah, um, we didn't have the luxury, you know, and I think that's why I brought it back earlier that it was so important to know that other women existed, not for the fact that we wanted to be the best women in the field, but just to know that we could be in the field. And I think yeah. to answer your question, Matt, you know, it's, it's really important what Angie says about being the best at what you do and not being a female that does it well, you know, that that's, that's like the biggest slap in our faces, you know, it's just, especially if you have the more, um, 
what do you call, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, like typical jobs or like backstage. It's so insulting. It's like, just because I do this doesn't mean I'm an idiot or just because it's exclusive to females. It's just what you're used to. And like, for me, it's one of my big reasons I always bring back, I always bring men in as my assistants because one, I work well with them, but two, you know, it's really important for people to see men doing those backstage jobs, not just women, you know, which is another part of the story that often isn't focused on. Oh, I love so, to, I, was, I talked to a friend of mine who was a, who's a tour manager as well, who used to do backstage. And she's like, I would love to go back doing that. Cause then I could have a day off. You know, I could find really? the time for myself. Because yeah. <laughs> none of my I mean, artists let me have a day off. <laughs> but it's not, but you know, the greatest thing is she goes, I'm not, it's not a beneath me to go back and do it because it's really fun. You know, it's fun to be creative and it's fun to have that. And I was like, cool. I love that. You know? Right. Very interesting. So you just raised a couple of points that I want to touch on. And the first one, as we stick with balance and, and, and I want to acknowledge for a moment, I feel like Kyle Hamilton is actually here with us today because balance is his number one, along with washing your hands and acting like a pseudo Trumper balance. Not fear, by the way, it is not Bud Light. (laughs) Balance is, is something he talks a lot about. And, and another thing that Angie, I've heard you talk about is the need to balance making the crew Mm -hmm. feel inclusive along with motivated to get the job done. So talk to us a little more about that balance and how you achieve that. Um, well, I, I, Christine will tell you, I'm not the serious person all the time. I love to have fun and I love to joke with the crew. So I'm always walking around trying to lighten the moments, you know, when I know they're stressed out and all that. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a, like, not, I don't say I'm a touchy person, but I like, I always go up and I'm, I always feel like when you put your hand on somebody, like when you're talking, it just calms them down. It's like a good energy thing. You know, I'm not all chakras and everything, but I am about energy. And, and I like being able to look at my crew as a good group of friends as well. And so I try to keep the rapport open with everybody and I can, you can figure out quickly who, who are going to be like the sour ones on tour, the ones that don't react in a fun manner. You know what I mean? Like you always kind of know the person that you want to kind of keep your eye on because they're not, they don't team know how player, to relax player. in the moment, you know, and, and a team player or always trying to have themselves heard when you're almost better off being, you're almost heard better if you don't say anything at times, you know, but I, I'd like to make sure that your video crew gets along for the most part. And, but then everybody works together you know, there's not combative moments. And I think on post, we, we really got to a point where everyone got along. Like we all had a really good camaraderie. Um, but I'm also with that tour, very, very vocal about when you walk into a building, you treat the venue people the way that post treats you. Post is the nicest kid. I say kid because he's 25. To me, that's a kid. He's the nicest kid. And when you're representing somebody who is that nice, you go in with that mentality. And begin when I first started, you literally, I would have people say, that was not what I was expecting at all from Post Malone. First off, they think he's like this total hip hop culture and he's bringing that culture. 
But we had everybody was so respectful and so nice that at the end of the day, I'm like one of the last out of the building. I was being stopped saying that was one of the best days we've ever had. Like, thank you so much. Everyone was amazing. And I'm like, that's what I need. That's what I want to hear, you know? And then people that couldn't maintain that ability to be nice and be respectful to the locals or the venue, the local promoter up, everybody, then we started to kind of weed them out. That's smart. I think that you actually all pretty much answered my next question already, but I'm going to throw it out there in case you want to add something. Another thing I took down as a note, these were your words. You said you have no problem to saying to somebody, you're good at your job, but you're not right for this tour. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that, um, and Christine, I'm only using you as an example because I think you'd be great for every tour, but there's, there's people like, and me, I'm not going to use you as an example because it wouldn't work. <laughs> You're an example of a person she doesn't want. I was going to say, yay, but I was like, hang on. Wait. <laughs> like, I, I'm not right for every tour. I'm not the right tour manager for every tour. You know what I mean? I I think I fit really well with male artists. And I think I fit really well with the TV people that want to go out on the road. Because I'm good at explaining the, the one, twos and threes and ABCs of touring and walking them through the process and then getting them as, you know, acclimated to it. But I don't think I'm right for every tour, even though my resume reads really well. I don't think I'm right for every tour. But I think that, sorry to interrupt you. Okay. No, I was just gonna say, I think that's the beauty of experience and being honest and also growing up, you know, as you yeah. said, you know, having had the experience that you have had, and this is something that, you know, again, talking about Kyle, but this is where Kyle and I kind of beat up Matt about, but um, it is so, it's so integral that you've applied that experience of being in a venue, knowing what it's like to be on the other side of that experience when the artist comes in and isn't kind, or their staff isn't kind, their crew isn't kind, it affects all of us. And if we all went out there, you know, as we all talk about, and Matt will verify this, you know, most of our guests what are we at 90 plus percent who say, you know, they want to see us all be kinder to ourselves and each other on the road. You know, I want to believe that, but I'm sadly too much aware of the humanity of life. And I I really hope I see that, but I don't know if I will, but I think it's critical. Even if we start at the small steps, like you say, you know, be as kind as, and maybe your artist isn't kind to you. I don't, if it isn't, you know, not not in your case, but if you do have a headliner who isn't a fabulous human being or isn't the, you know, doesn't like to talk to everybody, that's okay. But we don't have to be that way. We can represent well. And that's important. Yeah. I am. I just, I just feel like I can do my best in the future to include more women in positions, but sometimes that job that a female might normally have might be better fitted for a guy because the artist might want a male, more of a male presence around because you have to take a lot of stuff into consideration. So I'm always like the best person for the job is the best person for the job, whether it be male or female, I'm going to still put the best person. I feel that fits that mold, that, that spot perfectly. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not, I can't always say we're going to be 50, percent female or 50 percent male because right now we have on the last tour we had eight women i want to say eight and it was the perfect balance you know what i mean it was it really was a great balance out of a crew of how many 60 interesting so yeah and it just it was it was great everybody that got was there i mean we probably could have done with more but we were just a male heavy tour but the girls on the tour all got along. Everybody got along. 
There wasn't the pettiness. There wasn't any of that stuff that comes along with 50 females, you know? I don't know. It was great. It was great. It was good. And, you know, hell, if there were more lighting or video females, you know, that's the vendor really to, to pick them, but we just had a great balance on the tour. So gender notwithstanding. First, I want to say large groups of men on tour can be equally petty. Yeah. I, I think that is worth but we didn't have, out. It's so weird. We didn't have that. It's almost like we could have all hung out, you know? That's amazing. But so gender notwithstanding, what characteristics are you looking for when you're hiring in various roles? Are there any commonalities other than in this specific role, I need this specific person, which we understand their situational opportunities. Are there any characteristics that are, that are always there that you're looking for in the people you hire? I like um, a solid confidence that the person has. I love the compassion that a person has for others. I love the general ease that a person has within a group that, he, that if not knowing anybody, the ability to do the job. Um, but I also like, there's an energy uh, thing again um, that can be carried over from dealing. Let's say, let's say it is a female can hold her own with a bunch of guys like joking around, you know what I mean? And then can turn around and be the same way with a bunch of females. Like can, can mutate into the person that they need to be in order to fit that situation. Like an amoeba, you know, that kind of change, you know, is able to work. I want to say work the room, get their job done, get it done confidently and move on and not, and not be held up or caught up in worrying about, you know, I don't and this is like you and I talked about it. I have a hard time like verbalizing it all. No, no, no. Let me tell a story. Let me interrupt you and tell a story here. You, I, I like. I think that this story you told me the other day is actually a great illustration of what you're trying to describe. And and you're talking right now in the context of people you're trying to hire. But this is a tor- story you told me about yourself, okay. which I think actually is is really great. So you were talking about a tour, and it was a large-scale tour. There were a number of artists. We're not going to say who it was. We're not going to say who the production manager was or anything like that. But you're on this tour with a number of artists, and the production manager has a big office, and he's got his monitors set up, and he's got his you know, his spread and you felt like you were getting the shaft, but instead of complaining about it, you said, no problem. I'll just take my computer and I'll sit on this couch over here and I'll be fine. I don't need to look like I know what I'm doing. I'm just going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, and that happened and that happened for an LA show with 10 artists on the bill. And I sat on somebody's couch in an office that wasn't being used and did everything I needed to for the entire night. And for an L.A. show, you know what an L.A. show is like and didn't care. You know, I was like, whatever. This is all, you know, all you need is a computer and a fucking desk. I had a coffee table and an end chair and the the artist liaison sat on the couch and just did my shit. But that's but that's it. You don't need everything around you to make it look like just you just do the job and you get it done and that's what I notice and that's what I recognize and that's you know that's funny because on that same tour I'll even say it was a 
reunion tour. We had 10 artists. And that's like the tour that I learned what my skill set was and basically reaffirmed what my skill set was. And um, my assistant who I hired, Raphael Pagan, looked at me and I had tour manager after tour manager come in and try to say, I need more passes. I need this. I need that. And I was like, nope, 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 nope. And he just looked at me and goes, how do you do that? I said, what? And he goes, you had five people and you talked to them all different ways, but you yet you basically just said no to all of them. He goes, I don't know. How do you do that? And I was like, I no idea. I'm just good with people. And I think that's it, you know? Well, I think that that clearly is it. Again, looking at your resume, looking at the people that you've moved, aside from the people that, you know, on your cruise, looking at the artists themselves, you know, you've tour managed a number of people that are, are believed to be outsized personalities. We don't know them personally the way you do, but they have a certain status. They have a certain aura. So, I mean, talk to us a little bit about that. Talk to us about what you perceive in these personalities and how you relate to them. And talk to us, I mean, talk to us about the, the challenges and rewards of managing those personalities. Um, I don't, you know, I think with me, I just find a commonality with whoever could be perceived as a challenging person, whether it be music or a TV show. And I somewhat seem to be able to get on a good conversation level about, and then that starts the comfortableness of being able to talk to me about the small things, you know, and then you start to see the real side of these people who could be perceived as, you know, you know, hard to, hard to control, hard to whatever. And then I'm like, no, 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 it's, it's not hard. It's, you just have to find that route. So they'll listen to you. you have to figure out how to talk to them. So they will understand what you're trying to say. And I think that that's been one of my, um, characteristics of, of who I am that that's worked. I remember Eddie Van Halen, um, when we were on tour, it was Wolfie's first tour and he was 16 and his dad. And I just remember like watching him, he was doing sound check and he, and he looked like he was struggling that day. And he came off and I said, God, that whole time I felt like you just needed a hug. And he just went, I do. And he put the guitar down and he just hugged me. And it was like that moment that sort of changed that he could trust me and he would be more relaxed and talk. And we'd have these great conversations and it just, such an endearing man, you know, and he never has been known to be hard or difficult, but I don't, I don't know. I just kind of see something and I kind of latch onto that. And then that's my in to kind of go like, I'm, you know, it's cool. Like I'm here to help you. That's all I'm here to do is help you out. And I don't know. I think people just kind of take that and go, okay, I can trust her, you know? I mean, when you look again, you look at your resume and you think about who some of those personalities are. I just think that's truly remarkable that you find a way to relate on that human level. And it and it's important to remind people that when you're talking about artists of this status at heart, backstage, in their dressing room, on their bus, yeah, they're just human beings. They're just like us. They got their own bullshit that they're dealing with in their lives. Some of it is more public, which magnifies some of the drama, or it creates the drama by kind of 
putting a spin on it that people come to perceive who they are separate from who they actually might be. And that's where that's what we get to see the most of is backstage day off, you know, a travel day or something. So you're getting to see them in a more relaxed environment where they're not having to try to entertain 50,000 people or be that person for 50,000 people. You get to see the real human side to them. And that entire list, like people, so I've had people say, oh God, that must've been really hard. I'm like, not one tour on that list has been seriously difficult because I've always found such good things about the artist and the tour itself. Even the bad boy reunion tour where I had little Kim come at me, you know, and like threaten me with her fingernail on my face. I still love that tour because Diddy, you know, he respected me enough and, and trusted me to run it. And I, it was insane, but I learned a lot about myself again from that tour. And I walked off of it going, if I can run that tour, I can run any fucking tour you put in front of me, which is exactly what I yelled walking out of the forum at three o'clock in the morning up the ramp. I was like, literally like, God damn it. I can run any goddamn tour. I'll tell you that that show was bomb. I saw that show in Miami. And let me tell you, that show was one of the best shows I've seen in a hot minute. It took me back. It was like a great take. It wasn't it? Yeah, the show would start and you'd forget about all the bullshit you just had to deal with, with everybody. Because they were hustlers, you know? Talk about hustlers. They were the true hustlers in the 90s. Absolutely. And a Mm -hmm. lot of them still had that same mentality, but you couldn't fault them for it because that's how they learned how to survive, you know? Yeah. I mean, they built it. Yeah. He built it. And I loved, I loved working for him. I loved it. I really did. And the show would start and you'd be like, Oh my God. Okay. Okay. I can breathe. <laughs> I can breathe. Oh, but it was, I mean, I just literally walked off of it and that solidified that I was not going to, re- I had thought about retiring and like, do I want to adopt a baby? Do I want to do all this? And did he called and said, I really want you to run this tour. And I was like, first off, how'd you get my number? Second off, <laughs> why me? And I think he just knew my name or somebody said she'd work with Jay and Kanye. And and then I did it. And I was like, all right, it's 19 shows. And that proved to me that I was not done touring. So thanks, okay. Diddy. Sean Combs. Daddy. <laughs> so when we get to our quick hits, we always ask about a favorite moment. I'm not going to ask about that right now. But you said before... And I usually, you know, I I don't like asking the questions about, you know, tell us about the dirt about so-and-so. I don't, but you mentioned before that you're not right for every tour. And and clearly the way you just tell your story and the way we sit back and listen to you, you know, it, it, you have that strength of character and that resolve. It's, it's obvious that why you are so good at what you do. So I'm curious if there's any tour that's ever come your way that you passed on and regret it. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know. Yes, I do. Because I actually got called to do sting And it was right around the time that I was trying to get a contract signed. Well, I had signed a contract with Post. I mean, it's just fine to say. And I had agreed to a certain amount for six months just to figure it out, see if it was going to work. And so I was going to go and, um, oh, but I had my, no, I wouldn't sign a contract for six months. And then... I was working on the breaks because I was doing BTS, the K-pop band, 
which by the way is so much fun. Um, and because of that, they were seeing that I was still going to go do stadium artists and all that stuff. So the contract basically got it. So I was exclusive with posts, which is fantastic. But at the same time, I got called to do Sting. I think they wanted a female at the time or, or I was going to be able to interview. And I had to say no. And I cried because I, I, cr- I didn't cry like sob, but I had these this moment of like, I just said no to like somebody that would have defined that circular moment for me of being in love with the police. And I remember walking in New Jersey on the beach, listening to Synchronicity on a cassette tape, on a boom box, <laughs> you know, like that to me, like, that's why I love this business is I love those moments when it's something comes full circle. And that would have been one of those moments to kind of say, okay, like, but I had to say no. And I did get very emotional and I got really, and I would think about it, but then, you know, I really look at it now and I'm with the best person I could be with at this point in my life, you know, is Post Malone. So let's actually talk about Posty for a second, because I think Posty is an extremely misunderstood artist. He needs to get in this conversation. Sorry. <laughs> and Angie has just brought her dog uh, into the into the video feed. So we are looking at her dog right now. He's named after Post's first record, Stony. So stop. You're gross. Stop. <laughs> He's just a very, you know... She's talking about the dog licking not, her and not, not posty. Not posty. <laughs> the dog stony. Stony. He likes to he likes to find out what I had for lunch. Um, God, but go ahead. No. Sorry. So, but, but I've worked with Posty not in the capacity that you have, but I've bought and sold a few dates. I've put a couple of things together for him just in bits and pieces before he became the star that he is today. And I've seen that he is genuinely just nice down to earth guy. I think I told you a story about one time he sat down with my son who was seven at the time. He was wearing a Patriots Jersey. Posty was wearing a Cowboys Jersey. Posty literally looks at him and says, so you're a Patriots fan. Probably didn't know that my son has a pretty wicked mouth on him, even as a seven year old. And, um, they kind of got into it and, and just sat down and talked for like half an hour. To this day, my friend, my, my son thinks Posty is his friend, which is yeah. really cool. So he's he's a down-to-earth human. He's also a phenomenally talented guy. He's he's thought to be a hip-hop artist. Personally, I think of him more as a pop artist. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's a heck of a guitar player. He did that Nirvana tribute thing with Travis Barker, which was crazy to me because Travis is a phenomenal talent and it they actually pulled it off exceptionally well. And then anybody that's seen his New Year's performance, I mean, that was a rock show. I mean, he did war picks. He, that was a rock show. And so I, I guess, is there anything about Posty you'd like to say? And also, I guess more big picture, you know, he's put together a couple of the more interesting virtual programs that we've seen this past year. The Nirvana one being almost intentional, like, fuck it, I'm just going to throw up a video and we'll do this. He was wearing a fucking muumuu. I mean, it wasn't like it was (laughs) was staged or anything. But the New Year's Eve, I mean, it was low 
it, it was kind of simple production, black and white, um, not black and white, but like just black background, simple white yeah. lighting, no big show, very tastefully done. So I'm just curious your thoughts on on the virtual programs that we're seeing and your work with him as it relates there too. Well, I don't, you know, the the New Year's Eve thing was for Bud Light Seltzer, um, which I think was cool because it was kind of not like planned. It was planned, but it was like last minute getting it done. I just love to see how he basically did it without, with like a one night rehearsal. You know, the kid can walk, walk on stage. He didn't even need to rehearse. He can just go on stage and do it. He's that good. Um, the Nirvana thing, I knew nothing about how they were going to do that. I just had to get Travis there and get everybody, you know, help with the logistics of it. But I didn't go. I didn't watch any. I watched it online. Um, when it comes to the virtual stuff now, I don't watch, or even at the beginning of the pandemic, I never watched anything. A couple of things here or there, but I was in a position, I just didn't want to get sucked into having to sit here at my computer all the time to do virtual tour, you know, like, Zoom meetings and Zoom classes and everything, because I was like, I need to step away from all of that and sort of ground myself in Nashville. I just moved here. But when it post, I think post just does what he feels he wants to do at that moment. So you haven't seen him do a lot of virtual stuff. And he's not on trying to like do acoustic stuff and everything because he doesn't need to. But he's also living his life, you know. So I don't even know if that answered your question. <laughs> Good enough for me. <laughs> I don't, yeah, because I was like, shit, I think I forgot what he asked me. But um, well, I have a question that you could go into, but s with your experience of having worked for all these artists who, um, you know, I guess, you know, have been both male, female, and internationally, and being in a tour management or position, do you find artist management, which is something a lot of people don't talk about, to be, um, how do you navigate that? You know, not to say I'm sure some are challenging, some are not, but. I would think also, depending on the artist, you know, they don't always come with a, a rule book. They don't often have had, they have, wouldn't have had the experience you've had. Um, can you enlighten us in any way about that part of the conversation? Well, I think that's all part of when you deal with an artist is having to learn how to deal with management, how the communication is supposed to go, um, what the expectations are, are always different. You know, how much do, do the managers or manager have a say in what he's doing, you know what I mean? Um, so it's it's been different and for every artist how the how the communication goes. Sometimes you have to go through management to talk to an artist. Sometimes you can talk directly to an artist, you know. Um, but navigating it is the same with learning the the artist itself. You kind of have to figure out how how do you get them to reply to you? How do you get it so they'll read your text messages? How are you know what I mean to get that communication going? But it's always easier, of course, when you don't have to go to management first and you can always deal with the artist, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But when you have to deal with management, it's just figuring out the, their rules and criteria and, and kind of abiding by that. But that's when you have to do it that way, that's, that always puts a level of drama or stress on you that you don't need, but it's just something you have to deal with because they are the managers, you know. Absolutely. And that can make for challenge. <laughs> but I do I would imagine, especially because a lot of them, their experience isn't necessarily in the business. They may only manage one artist, not many. Yeah. They don't have a history of it. So yeah. that must be a real headache in many ways. Yeah, because sometimes uh, you're having to like 
stroke an ego of a manager when you're like, wait a minute, that's the artist, you know, but it, that's all, that's all just part of it. And it's just, you know, I think with that, it just becomes second nature and you just figure it out, you know, how am I going to get an answer? Okay. Do I ask it this way or do I call or do I text or email? You know. It's just like getting paid. It's yeah. just like we never know until it actually happens. Yeah. You know, it's always an interesting thing about our business. Yeah. You know, you and I know, because we've dealt with one manager specifically who you're just like, fuck, am I going to get in trouble for asking this question? Should I know the answer before I ask it? God damn it. Fuck. All right. I just have to ask it. And then you're like, either get yelled at or, or not, you know? Mm-hmm. But, you know, then you've got the artist who is cool as fuck. And then you're just like, okay, thank God for you. And then the other manager... Cause you balance off that, you know, so it's just all part of it. Well, Angie, you've been a fantastic guest. We appreciate you jumping on the bus with us today. Before we let you go, we always ask our guests a series of quick hits. The okay. first one being your first tour. I think we already established it was in sync mm-hmm. unless there was something that preceded that. Nope. In sync, no strings attached stadium. Boom. <laughs> and you even have it on the wall. The wow, that's a good one. Yeah, no strings attached. And a favorite moment. Do you have any one moment that you'd like? I mean, sure, you've got a million. Is there one you'd like to tell us, please? I please. have a million, but this one only because I watched the Rolling Stones Ole 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 the other night. So I was on the Bigger Bang Tour, and um, which was 2006 to 2007. And I was the production assistant for Live Nation Global Touring with Trez Thomas and Allison Larkin. Um, and Anthony Giordano, who was the stage manager for NSYNC, my first tour was a stage manager for the Stones on this. And I remember on the radio hearing Angie, and I'm like, what? He goes, get the fuck out here. They're about to sing your song. And it was during soundcheck. And so I got to go sit. I sat in like the first row and listened to them sing Angie to me. I was like, this is the most amazing moment. Like no one else will have this moment but me. So that's fantastic. That was one of my fun memories. Very cool. You know, I always say that George Clinton smoking crack in my car as a runner, but I put that on Facebook. Joe Battle asked, hey, a story that no one else has ever done. And then all of a sudden people are like, oh, he did that in my car. He did that in my car. I was like, oh, I thought I was special. <laughs> but no, I wasn't. So I don't tell that story anymore. <laughs> Copy. So. My favorite question, I ask every guest, if there is any one thing about the industry industry you would like to see us doing better, what is it? Um, About the industry to do better. You know, I should have really thought about a good prophetic answer to this, but I would like to see people be kinder. I would like to see... Um, you know, yeah, I, I want to see this, this industry become, um, more supportive of each other, which I think we're starting to get there. I do. I would like to see the, something started for roadies and touring professionals to allow us to get a group insurance plan together. I would love to see that. I would love to see fairness and pay across the board, but I think that that's a hard one because it's all done by the management and the budgets that start. I would like to see um, people be very, very transparent about 
what they've done. Um, and this is really minute, but I get really peeved when I see somebody who's written, let's just say I wrote Angie Warner, tour manager, but then I wrote down Dave Matthews in sync, but I was never the tour manager for Dave Matthews or in sync. Like just to be very transparent about like their work experience, because a lot of, you know, you, you can call the references, but I just think it, it presents you in a way that's not true. Cause I'm a very, very fair person. I'm very honest. I'm almost too honest, but I think that that across the board is something that drives me crazy, but I would like to see something started where we can have a group insurance plan that we could all pay into. Um, you know, that I like the groups that are starting the organization organizations that are starting to support the roadies. I would like to see those continue into the new year. I love the level of, um, the attention to mental health that's going on. And I think that that's something every tour should start with. You know, we all have our struggles and we all suffer from something, um, even if it's really minuscule, um, that we can have a focus on that and the ability to help our team when they are struggling out on the road instead of sweeping it under the carpet and then leaving them to deal with it when they get home, you know, even if, and it's, and it's, and I, I, one thing I will say is I believe every tour needs to have an HR person, a person of an HR stature outside home that should something happen on tour that is unfair and against a policy that they can call them and then it can be started to be dealt with in a business-like way because I think that that's too many people are quiet about things that have happened or said on tour and then it builds up and becomes something even bigger that you can't ha- control at that point. But if they had somebody in, like an HR type person to call that's hired by the business management or the management to deal with those situations, it would just make it a lot sometimes easier for younger roadies to navigate a tour, navigate the road. Does that make sense? I think everything you just said is right on the money. hundred percent. I'm going to share a couple of things with you offline after we wrap along okay. similar lines. I'm curious your thoughts about Angie. You've been fantastic. We appreciate you being with us. My last question, get you out on an easy one. Any shout outs you'd like to relate? Uh, Janine Edwards, Florence C, Allison Larkin. Thank you for everything for getting me in this industry and pushing me towards what I've had yet to know was my final goal of becoming a tour manager and for, you know, all the, my mentors really, well, Harry Sandler's past, Bobby Morrell's past, but Rob Manley, Wilson Howard, Trez Thomas, Rick Sapkoyak, everybody has just been, anybody that I've worked under has been such a great mentor in my life. And I'm very thankful that I've been in the situation in a room where somebody said, you'd be great for that gig. You know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just thought it looked fun. And then, you know, even now I'm like, well, what's my end goal? I don't know. Somebody will tell me, somebody will say, I have something for you that this will take you off the road. And then that's it, you know? So I'm just waiting, but thank you to everybody. Thanks Post Malone. Well, thank you for being with us today. Dallas, what do you got? Keep washing your hands, wear your mask, and get inoculated. Vaccine. Wait, Christine. Oh. 
Christine, yes, we didn't talk about any Jay Z stories. I know we did it. We kept out. How did we do that? No watch. I don't know stories. I think you know because we're still recovering. <laughs> no, I mean I do think I was thinking about that. <laughs> watch the throne was such an absolutely incredible tour, you yeah. know. And I don't know if that will ever happen again in the legend of music to have those have two geniuses up there doing their thing. Production was phenomenal. The crew was awesome. You know, we really, uh, and we, man, we accomplished things that no one had ever done before. <laughs> but I will tell you, I do not and will not drink tequila ever again. Really? <laughs> uh, I wonder why. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. I appreciate there it. There it is. Well, we appreciate you. My shout out is to you, Angie. I appreciate you being with us on the bus today. We had a good time. We appreciate you. We hope that the inauguration tomorrow is safe. We hope that yeah. everyone is orderly, peaceful, uh, respectful of the process, that we have a smooth transition that helps us get back to work sooner than later, whether it's distanced, whether it's wearing masks, uh, however quickly we can get the vaccine. I do hope we're back to work by fall, if not sooner. I look forward to the day that I get to be on the road, that we get to bump into each other in crazy places across the globe. Uh, until then, just want to say to our listeners, of course, you are nowhere to find us, hustleikeyoubroke.com. Check out our past episodes. Check us out on Instagram, HLUB Podcast. And uh, that's all for today. On that note, thank you all and good night. <laughs>